0: on the first sunday of the year on hope i preached on hope and then the sunday after that uh, i preached on faith and in love I, I it was from first corinthians thirteen thirteen, where it says uh, now these three remain hope faith and love but the greatest of these is love and so i kind of did a sermon series starting with hope uh, we have a hope that's real our hope is based on love and is based on on knowing that god's restoring us right it's not like we get a prize at the end but you know the hope that we have is of restoration, right? Uh, it says, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, hope of glory, right? We're going to be glorified. And that's the hope that we have. And we, uh, two weeks ago, I preached on faith. Uh, it's a faith that justifies us. It's a faith that is more than just words. It has legs. We have a faith that has legs. We have a faith that is worked out and walked out, right? And James is very adamant that, you know, uh, uh, faith without works is dead. And He's not saying that we can earn our salvation, but what he's saying is that if we truly have faith in Jesus Christ, it should affect the way that we live. Right? It should affect and change us from the inside out. Right? And so I preached on faith, and last week I preached on love. Uh, it all starts from God's furious and com- and complete and just just powerful love that He has for us. Is agape love? Um, it's a love that's in the Bible that's specifically chosen. Uh, and used to describe God's amazing love for us. it's a love that's unconditional, it's a love that uh, is able to love his enemies. God loved his enemies, right We were his enemies, and yet he still loved us um and it's the and it's when we embrace and truly understand this love is that we're able to even attempt to love God and attempt to love people that are around us and so that was on love now, I want to move on to Romans twelve today. And because I believe this is key for us to stand on faith, hope, and love, in order for us to truly stand on faith and hope and love as the pillars of our Christian life, right, we have to understand Romans 12, right, and not just understand it, but we have to live it out, right? We have to, for this has to be a reality, and this has to be truth in our lives, and this has to be something that we walk out in our lives. Um, And he talks about a renewed mind. A, new, a renewed mind where he God comes and he, and he transforms the way that we think and the way that we experience the world. Uh, as parents, my goal is not to to train my kids to do things, right? I don't want to train my kids to, like, do this, you know, do this and don't do that, right? It's, it's our responsibility as parents is to not just, like, tell them not to do this and not to do that, but it, it's for us to renew their minds, shape their minds, shape their thinking, shape their understanding, right, while they're young, so that as they grow up, right, they they know why this is good and they know why this is not good and they know why, they know why they're supposed to be doing things like this, right? You know, like we we modify behaviors of our pets. Right? We have a dog. Her name her name's Nugget, and her behavior is modified so that she poops on a puppy pad, right? She has no idea why she has to poop on a puppy pad, right? The logic is not there for her. She just knows that she's supposed to poop on a puppy pad. And sometimes she just poops near the puppy pad. And in her mind, she's just thinking, yeah, I'm doing what's good, right? This, this is all good. And then she's like, why are you getting mad at me? I, go, I went near the puppy pad, right? That's modified behavior. And God doesn't see us as pets. Right? God doesn't see us as just – he doesn't want to just modify our behavior – but but you know, remember when when your parents used to tell you like, "Do this," and, and you would always ask the question, "Why?" right? You'd always uh, he's like, like, don't do that." and you're like, "Why?" And what was their answer? Because I said so, right? That's bad parenting, right? <laughs> you know that that's bad parenting, and our 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 Father in heaven is such a a better and, and, a, and, 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 and infinitely more of an amazing uh, father than we can ever be. And he's not about us loving people and being kind to people just because it's something that we're supposed to do. That it's a behavior that we're supposed to have. But he's all about shaping and molding and renewing our minds so that love and the hope and the faith that we have comes from the inside out. It comes from like a transformed, renewed mind. And and it flows from us, from, from the transformation that God has done in us. Paul says that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's not, mod- not about just changing the way that we do things, but he wants to give us, God wants to give us a renewed mind, and he wants to give us the mind of Christ. We're being made into the image of who? Of Jesus Christ, right? And and, and ultimately, he wants us to have a renewed mind, where we have the mind of Christ. Now, I need to point something out here that that about about the word mind that's used in the Bible, right? Um, Western thinking talks about mind in two different things. Mind and heart are two separate things. Our mind does the thinking. Our heart does the feeling. right? That's Western thinking, right? Right. So there's a separation between mind and heart. But when we look at the Bible, and when we look at the way that the Hebrews looked at the word heart, right? Uh, they saw it as one thing. The Hebrew word is "lave," and it's, it it means it's the center of the human's like 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 emotions. It's the center of his his will. It's the center of his thinking. It was the center of the per, like the, the essence of the man was was the heart, right? And so, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there is no separation between man and mind and heart. It, it, it's the seat in which the man uh, and the human being perceives world perceives himself and perceives God. And, and so when Paul is talking about this renewal of the mind, he's not just talking about our thinking. Yes, he's talking about our thinking, but he's also referring to the holistic Jewish or the Hebrew understanding of our mind and that he's also talking about our emotions. He's talking about a renewed renewal in our emotions. It's a, talking about a renewal in our will. It's talking about a renewal in the basic center of our being we're supposed to be transformed not in just the way that we think, we're transformed in the way that we feel, and we're transformed in the way that we will, right? The source of our action. And that's the will, right? We, our will is the source of our action. And that's the type of transformation that Paul's talking about. And that's the type of transformation that God has for us, right? And so let's read Romans 12. I want to read the whole chapter. It's not that long. It's kind of long, but it's not that long. And uh, I want us to have a bigger picture uh, and, uh, and context of this passage, right? So if you turn your Bibles to Romans 12, I'll read it for you guys in the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I want you guys to keep your, keep your finger or like highlight by the mercies of God. Okay? So by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living ha- sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, Use your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, t- by testing you may decide what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not, not to think of more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Right, that's a, that's a bit of reading that we did um, out of Romans 12. Now, when we read this chapter, there is a very important word in the first sentence of this chapter. And do you guys know what that word is? Who would like to guess what that word is? Therefore, right? Therefore, right? Claire, you get ten points, right? That word therefore, right, it's an adverb. And when you see words like therefore or like words like but in the Bible, especially in Paul's writing, it's very important because this this word sets up context. Right Now, this re- therefore is the linchpin between everything that Paul talks about in chapters 1 through 11 and how we are to respond to that from chapters 12 on to the rest of the book. This therefore is the linchpin between everything that, that Paul's telling us about doctrine and, and foundation and theology, and now he's moving into practice, application, and ethics. Right. So he, this is this is the moment where he's like, okay, this is the this is everything that 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 happened. This is this is the, the main shebang, and then therefore this is how we are to respond. Right? I don't know if main shebang is actually a thing, but um, and he's a master communicator. And with just a few words, he articulates what came before uh, this therefore as the mercies of God. right? And that's what it is. If you've ever read Romans, and I hope you guys have all read Romans, it's theology and doctrine pertaining to God's plan of mercy for this world. He talks about our sins and our inability to save ourselves. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We do not have the ability to to, to save or or be right with God, he talks about propitiation. Right? It's a hard word. That's a, it's an archaic word, but propitiation basically means appeasement of wrath. Right? He was our pr- propiti I, I keep on wanting to say propitia, which is a balding medication. Right? Propitiation, Right? it, it, it basically means that, that he was, he. The, he's the appeasement of the wrath of God. He talks about redemption. He talks about justification. We are justified through faith talks about grace so all of this paul just with a, a, a like a stroke like he's like a master artist he would just a one fail stroke of the mercies of god he communicates all that he talked about in in chapters one all the way to chapter 11 and and that's the reason the reason for what happened in chapter 12 is is on the basis of the mercies of god because of his great mercy towards us our Christian life our lives in Christ is founded first on the mercies of God it right? is rooted in the mercies of God we have a merciful God we he could have just like left us to just just you know like ah oh, you guys just 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 you know like I, he could have just cleared the, the the board right you know have you ever like played a game and you know you just you, you just you, you could have just done that right but no he 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 loved us, and it's out of that love, it's out of that mercy that we're saved. We have a mercy for God, and we learn that from the word of God, that mercy is not weakness. The world sees mercy as weakness, but to God, it's his strength. Mercy is God's strength. God's mercy is his love. His goodness and grace is, is his mercy. Mercy is his holiness. Do you guys see that? In order for his holiness to be to, to, to remain holy, right? You know, he couldn't save us, but yet out of his mercy, he gave us Jesus Christ. So, so mercy, is, is he talks about it, is this plan that God has laid out from, from the beginning of time, and that is, he, we have a merciful God. And it's founded in everything that we are as Christians, everything that we are as believers of Jesus Christ, it starts from understanding his mercy. Later on in the chapter, Paul talks about the marks of a true Christian. You guys, if you guys have the ESV, the third paragraph, it says marks of a true Christian. And these are a bunch of stuff that are really hard. It's really hard. Right, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. Well, it's not that, that hard. All right? Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Right, well, that's not too hard. I think I can do that. Bless those who persecute you. Whoa, whoa, what? All right? Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You know how hard it is to not be wise in your own sight? You know when somebody says something and you know that they're wrong? It's like you have fact and there's a, you know, and a lot of people, I I think they see me this way. They're like, you're wrong, right? And it's just, you know. And, and, and what he's saying is do not be wise in your own sight not just saying that like when somebody's wrong you you don't point it out you just hold on to it you're like oh but it's actually saying like hey like 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 even though somebody else may be wrong within yourself you choose not to be wise that is hard you choose not to look down upon them that's hard right that that's what he's talking about right these are the marks of a true Christian repay no evil for evil but give to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you. Be peaceably, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Right? Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. These are all very difficult things. Right? And when I, when I see this, I see it's, a, it's describing a life of mercy. And this is what God did for us. This is, this is, this is, he, he didn't repay evil for evil. He repaid us with love, right? This is, this is a picture of what God, his character is. This is a picture of, of who, who Jesus is. And this will only flow through us if we base the foundation of our lives on the mercies of God. His mercy towards us. His great and amazing and benevolent mercy towards us. And that's my first point. If you guys are taking notes, number one, is that we have to have a life that flows from the mercies of God. One of the best examples of this is found in Luke 7, right? In Luke 7, there's a Pharisee named Simon, and he goes up to Jesus, right? He's heard a lot about Jesus. He goes up to Jesus like, Jesus, I want you to come in and, and eat at my house, right? And Jesus, you know, you know he... He's probably hungry, you know, he, he's a rich guy, and so he probably, he's like, oh, I'll go and eat at your house. So he goes to this house, and he's eating with this guy, and I got this from this book I read called Meals with Jesus by Tim Chester. It's a great book, and, uh, and back then, when a rich and important person had dinner guests, right, um, what they, where they would dine is they would actually dine on an elevated floor somewhere on the, on the, on the outside part of the house, so they would eat out in the public almost, like in their yard almost, and, and there would be, uh, you know, because it's an important person, they would want to show this person off, and so there would be a crowd of, of spectators that would gather around this dinner, right, and they would look at, like, oh, wh- what are they eating, Who who is that, right, and, and and, and, you know, these are usually people of lower class would be look- onlookers of the dinner that was happening. They would be spectators of this meal. Because whenever I read this, I always would wonder, like, like this guy, Simon the Pharisee, right, why, why, is, this, why is this sinful woman in, in his dining room, right? Because I would imagine, like, you know, because what happens is Jesus is sitting at the table, he's eating, and then this woman is behind him just weeping. This woman is behind him just weeping. And then all of a sudden he he she takes her tears and she, she cries her tears on his feet. And then she wipes his feet with her hair, right? And and, and then she would like anoint his feet with, with an ointment and he would kiss his feet, right? And I was always wondering, was like, where did this woman come from, right? Like, why is this woman in this guy's dining room? But it's because they they would actually be eating outside. And there would be there would be onlookers to this dinner. And this woman, right. She comes and she's weeping. She's broken. And Simon the Pharisee, he goes, man, and 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 he says, if this man really was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Right? And he would have nothing to do with her. And then Jesus tells this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, uh, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the greater debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to, to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she had not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were able at the table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman... She sees Jesus, and then she sees her life. And then she, she sees Jesus, and she sees his goodness. She sees his love. She sees his mercy. And she sees the sin in her life, and she's broken and weeping before him. And Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. It's only when we are able to truly understand the great mercy of God Can we have the mind and the heart and the perspective that God wants us to have? It's only we're able to grasp the truly just the amazing mercy that God has shown us. Talking about a renewed mind, which starts with God's great mercy towards us. This has to be truth. This has to be reality in us. We have to see the amazing depth that God has had to come down to save wretched, evil sinners like us, enemies of God, losers like ourselves, right? And it's only when we understand this truth can we do what is in the second part of this sentence in Romans 12. And it says, and then the second, my second point is, we, we live lives of sacrificial worship. It says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God right, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is exactly what this woman does, right? She's overcome by his love and his mercy, that she literally uses her tears and she uses her hair to wipe his feet. She's worshiping him, she's kissing his feet, he's anointing his feet with oil. This is not like a, a romantic gesture, it's not like a sexual gesture. This was worship. She saw Jesus and said he is who he says he is and then she fell at his feet and worshiped him. This this is this is what Paul's talking about here. The true sacrificial worship flows from understanding of his mercy. And Paul tells us this aspect is to offer our when we experience this mercy when we understand this mercy we offer our lives we offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to god and he's saying this is your worship your spiritual worship two things we get from this passage right number one renewal requires surrender to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. People, they get this twisted, right? They think that if I acknowledge God in whatever I do, right, this is sacrifice and this is worship. You know, If I go surfing, I'm out on the waves, and I just think about God, and this is my spiritual act of worship, right? You know, And, and, and you're out there hiking, and then you think about God, and you say, this is my spiritual. Yeah, you could worship God when you're surfing, and that's, that's still worship, right? You can worship God when you're working. We you could worship God, you know, when you're out there, you know, like, you know, fishing or, you know, doing taekwondo. I don't know, right? You can, just, but what Paul is talking about here is so much more and is so much deeper than that understanding of worship. What Paul is talking about is surrendering yourself to God as a living sacrifice. And this requires giving control of your life to Him. Over to God, it's surrender. It's obedience, no matter what. And this is what Paul talks about in Galatians 2. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? And the life now, I, now I, that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." Right? This, this, this is the type of surrender that God is talking about. Now, yes, you can work. You know, your work can be a worship unto the Lord, right? You know, when you when you play sports and when you enjoy nature, this can be worship unto the Lord. First Corinthians ten thirty one says, "For so wh- whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God." Yes, you can do that. This is something you're supposed to do. But what Paul is talking about here in Romans twelve, this is a heavier, it's a weightier thing, and it, and it's and it's this: if we want true renewal in our lives and renewal in our hearts and in our mind and our thinking and our emotion, we have to give control of our lives over to God. He must be Lord. He must be Lord. Not just in title, but how we truly see Him. He must be Lord. And this word, Lord, is lost in our modern vernacular, right? A long time ago, when somebody was Lord over you, They were in charge of your destiny. They controlled what happened to you. They controlled where you went and what you did. That was lordship. This is the source of the word Lord. And Paul writes this earlier in Romans 6.22. He says, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. Now Now this is not our identity in Christ, right? God doesn't see us as slaves, right? He doesn't even see us as servants. He sees us as sons, right? That's what the Bible says. I'm a son of God. Who believes that? Raise your hand if you believe that you're a son of God. Yeah, we're all sons of God, right? We are children of God. He is our Father in heaven. But when it comes to our surrender to God, when it comes to our our giving up our control onto the God, it's almost like in the Bible, the way that it's talked about is is as if we, we sell ourselves into slavery to Christ. When it comes to surrender, when it comes to his lordship, his leading, his will, his sovereignty, we give control over to God as if we are slaves and he is our lord. And that's what Paul says is our spiritual worship. Is he lord? Does he have control or is he just the passenger that you talk to on your journey? And when you see the apostles writing, you see that this is how they saw Jesus Christ. And this is how they saw themselves. They saw themselves as slaves of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as slaves of God. That, wor- that word, right, is called doulos in the Greek, right? And, and the English Bible translators, because slavery has such a bad connotation um, in modern language, that they changed it to servant, right? Or they changed it to bond-servant. But if you look it up in the Greek, if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, that word doulos literally means slave. Back then, slaves were more, it, it wasn't like, they were more like indentured servants. Slavery back then was nowhere as bad as it was during the, the African slave trade, right? In the 16th, 17th, and 1800. But the apostles saw themselves as being sold into slavery to Jesus. He, he became their lord. 2 Peter 1-1, Simeon, Simon Peter, a doulos of the apostle Jesus Christ. Jude 1-1, Jude, a servant or a doulos of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Revelations 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who gave, who God gave to him to be his doulos, the things that must soon take place. He may known. By sending an angel to his servant John, right? Galatians 4, 7, Paul says, So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through through God. But what he starts his letter in Romans with is, he says, he says Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart, apart for the gospel. In other words, God sees us as sons, but the apostles, they saw themselves as slaves to Christ regarding their surrender and their service, their sacrifice to God, regarding His Lordship, they saw themselves as slaves. That's the language. So when Paul says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, he's talking about Lordship. Is He Lord? Have you given your bodies, all of who you are, over to Him for Him to rule and reign in your life? Because true renewal starts... With that mindset, that perspective of Him being Lord of your life. Every aspect of your life. And that is spiritual worship. That's what Paul is saying. Worship is declaring that He is Lord. Isn't that what worship is? When we worship, it's like, you are Lord. How many times do we sing that? So many songs. You are Lord. I don't know. <laughs> But it truly is, not just to sing it, but to actually perceive it in our minds and in our hearts. And we say, He is my Lord. He is in control of my life. He is leading my life. He is guiding my life. He is shepherding me. I go where He tells me to go. I do what He tells me to do. That is Lordship. And that's what Paul is saying is bringing renewal into your life. So it starts with Lordship. And now... Earlier I said there's two things that we can take away from this sentence. And it's number one, is surrender. It's how we see God, as lordship. And two, it's how God sees us. He says that we are holy and acceptable to God. Now we are not holy and acceptable to God. Right? I guarantee it. But God accepts us and sees us holy as we make him Lord. It's his lordship that makes us acceptable. It's his lordship that makes us holy we really have no means of making ourselves acceptable to God. Now, you can be the nicest, you can be the holiest, you can be the kindest, most loving person in the world, you can be disciplined, you can read the Bible like three hours a day, pray two hours a day, right? You can give 90% of your earnings to, to God, you can spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Even when you do everything right, the cold, hard fact is, There's nothing that you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. The only thing that can make us acceptable to God is when we make Him Lord. And His grace and His mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ, He says He accepts us completely He sees us blameless. He declares us holy. Only through faith in Jesus Christ, Lordship of Christ, can we be acceptable to Him. As we surrender our control, we make Him Lord. He sees us acceptable, blameless, holy, white as snow. Right. That's the gospel. But you guys, there's legs to this. This isn't just about thinking about God when you work. It's not just about you know riding your scooter through Thailand and thinking about Jesus. I, I was very covetous of you. That's why I put that in there. <laughs> every time I, every time I would be freezing outside, I open my Instagram, and they're just like, ah. Frolicking in the sand, all tan. And I'm like, yeah. It's one thing to say I believe in Jesus. It's a whole other thing to surrender, surrender your body, surrender your control, surrender all that you are as a living sacrifice to God. To give up your will and take up his will. And he says, that is spiritual worship. And he says, God, then he's like, that's acceptable to me. When you make his son Lord over your life, he's saying, you know what? You're acceptable to me. I have to hurry up because I've only covered the first sentence of this passage, right? Paul goes into renewal in the next sentence. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, there are two things that happen here, and it's predicated by what happened in the first sentence, right? First sentence, we acknowledged, received, and embraced God's mercy, and through that, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We sender, surrender control to God. He say, we say that he is Lord. We, we make him Lord of our lives. Now, as he is Lord, two things happen. One, we do not conform to this world. And two, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we have to keep in mind that we are only responsible to do one of these things we need to not conform to this world. NIV says patterns of this world and God will do the transforming of our minds right? a lot of times we feel like we have to transform our minds. Have, who's tried that who's tried to transform your mind on your own right you, you, can, you can you can like you can try to think differently but it's it's almost impossible right when somebody annoys you you're like oh I'm going to transform my mind. And I'm going to love this guy. right? No! <laughs> Inside your mind, you're, you have a smile on your face, but in your mind, you're like, you're an idiot, right? We, say we we're like, it's, it's so hard to transform our minds. It's nearly impossible. But God is not, re- we, God says we're not responsible for that part. Right? What we're responsible is to not conform to this world. And then he will bring renewal of our mind. Now, we not conforming to this world, it doesn't mean isolation. This does not mean that we just insulate ourselves, live in a bubble where we have no contact with the world. Because Jesus in John 17, he says that we are to be in the world but not of the world. He prays to the Father and says, Father, do not take them out of this world, right? Now, this is a challenge for us because when we are out in the world, a lot of times we want to do the things that are in the world, right? The world is fun. The world has lights, right? The world has beat right? The world is attractive sometimes. Not to not conform to this world. doesn't mean that we remove ourselves from the world, but we are in the world, but we live it as a counterculture. We live going against the grain. When the world gets down, we go up. When the world falls in love with something, we stay in love with God. When the world says, this is what you're supposed to do, we hold fast to what God says we need to do. Now, the reason I say that we're not supposed to be insulated or isolated, you know, that it's like, you know, this is the, only, it is the only Christian-only party. You know, like you know the, those times where we just, like, you know, we, we all isolate ourselves and we just, like, you know, kumbaya with all the other Christians. The reason I say this is because of the next part. It says, it says by testing, you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. How are you going to get tested when you're not in the world? God wants to test you in the world because he wants you to make an impact in the world. He wants to, you to change culture. He wants you to, to save souls and make a, the name of Jesus great in this world. Not just at a Hillsong conference, right? Not just in church, not just at one thing, right? It's easy to to make the name of Jesus great at a Hillsong conference. There's signs everywhere, right? Everybody's singing the songs. But He wants you to make His name great in your workplace. He wants you to make His name great amongst your non-Christian friends. He wants you to make your name great in in, in your cities, in your towns, in in, in the clubs that you belong to, in all of the things that you do in your life. When you're out in the world, God wants you to make His name great. God wants you to save souls. God wants you to, to... Change culture. Change the way that people think through your life. That's why we're not supposed to be all, like, isolated, you know? And it's hard for me to say that as a pastor, because all I see are Christians, right? I see my family, right? We're a Christian home, and I see you guys on Sunday, right? I do a bowling league on Thursdays, and I bowl with a bunch of foreigners that get drunk every Thursday, right? And it's fun. I put myself out there just so that I could be around non-Christians once in a while, right? But how are you going to get tested? Because it talks about testing. Is it testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? How are you going to get tested so that you know God's will for your life out in the world if you don't put yourself out in the world? right? So you're supposed to be out in the world, but you're supposed to be the counterculture. right? And this can only happen when you have renewal and transformation in your life. You see, Paul is writing this to the church in Rome. Rome was one of the most secular, most like aristocratic, the most worldly, cultured places of its time. Right? And, like all of the, the 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 fancy like new thinking came out of Rome, right? All of the different ways of worldviews and all of the philosophies came out of Rome. So he's talking to Christians. He's sending this letter to the church in Rome that's dealing with all of this worldliness, and he's saying, "Be the counterculture." Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because when you are transformed by a renewed mind, you will see the world differently. The shiny things won't be so shiny anymore. The fun that you see everyone having won't seem as alluring anymore. As a matter of fact, it will have the stench of death. And the worldly people that you meet, they won't seem so worldly anymore. You will see them as lost souls desperately needing the love and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what a renewed mind brings. When God renews your mind, you don't want to run from the world. You want to be in the world. Because now you see, it's like the Matrix. Remember when when Neil saw, like he realized that he was in the Matrix and he was able to like, and the bullets would fly, and he'd be like, like you just control everything. that's like that when you are in the world and you're being transformed and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life you, you're like Neo in the Matrix you actually want to be in the world because now the transformation that's happening in you and the power of, of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in you is going to start to impact the people around you you'll see the world differently Paul says, don't conform, be different. But you see, religion does not make you different than the people around you. The things that you do don't make you different. The way you raise your children don't make you different. It's Christ in us. It's the renewal and the transformation that he brings that makes us different. And that is the only thing that will get the attention of the world and the lost. When you're living your life, and renewal, and you reveal, and you and revival, and transformation. You won't have to point out to your friends, "I'm different." They'll see it, and they'll be like, "Dude, they're different." There's power that's coming from them. You know what? Like, I want what they have, because what they're seeing is not you, like trying to be something. What they see is Christ in you. They see Christ in you, hope of glory. That's what we're supposed to show the world. Our renewed minds come from God, but it's, it's predicated on what happened in the first verse through the, for us as we receive the mercies of God and as we offer our body, as he becomes our Lord and he starts to transform us, the way that we see the world and the way that the world sees us will radically change. Because there's, a, there's, a, there's the power, there's a God inside you, a Holy Spirit inside you. And the power of the Holy Spirit will start to change your life. And people will see. The world sees your renewal and your transformation. They will see Christ. You know, telling people about Jesus is one thing. Telling people about Jesus as you reflect him in the transformation and the renewal of your mind and your heart, that could change the world. You know that remember earlier we read the whole chapter and the second part talked about about like grace, right? It talked about us seeing ourselves like like sober minded with soberness, right? Don't see ourselves greater than we actually thought. Right? That's humility, right? The, the what we want to present to the world is not like like we're the best, we're the winning team. We're supposed to show what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself, he came low. And when we're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? God raises us, us up, but He does it in a really weird way. He brings us down. Right? When we we're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, like, like, you know, like we feel great, but we actually humble ourselves. We go low. We see ourselves soberly. We we, don't, we see ourselves like we see others greater than us. We look at people and like, you know what? Like, I'm not better than you. And then and then there's that whole section about marks of a Christian where we're supposed to not we're supposed to like love the people that persecute us, right? Bless the ones that persecute us. Bless the ones that like treat us like crap. Bless like if if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. Right. That hard thing that I talked about, as God starts to change your thinking, as God tries to starts to change your heart, as He becomes Lord of your life, right? You're going to start to walk in that. You're going to be able to, to stand firm. When, when people persecute you, there's going to be genuine blessing and love that comes forth. When, you, when somebody hates you and they're your enemies and they see you as an enemy, you're going to be able to bless them, love them, and, and give them something to eat and give them something to drink, right? This is, this is how we live powerful lives. Jesus says that I came so that you may have life, but life abundant. And people think, abundant, or I'm going to have money, right? I'm going to have a nice car, a nice home. No, the abundant life is a powerful life. God wants us to have powerful lives. And in order for us to have a powerful life, we need the power of God at work within us. And when we have the power of God at work within us, and we're being transformed, right? and there's this renewal that's happening in us, right? And 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 people start to see, like, man, look at Kelby. Kelby's different, right? oh, there's something about Kelby. Look at at Ricky, right? Ricky, it's different. There's something about Ricky, right? That comes from when we make God, when we make Jesus Christ our Lord, we don't just say it with our lips. We don't just say it with our mouth. But he actually becomes Lord of your life. Where you see him as as the apostles saw them. You know, Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ, the apostle, like right? Paul, Jude, right? oh, John, all of these people, they looked, at, they wrote these letters and saying, "Hey, I, like, like, I'm a son of God, but I, like, I see myself as not just as a servant, but as a slave of Jesus Christ. I sold myself over to Jesus Christ. He owns me. He owns my destiny. He owns what I do. He owns what I think. He owns everything about my my future and what I'm doing." That was the heart of the apostles, and you know what? They changed the world. you know that? The apostles flipped the world upside down at its time. At one point, they, were, they said like 80% of that area was all Christians. It came from from 12 apostles that went out, right? And 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 and, and lived like this. They lived life saying like Jesus is Lord, and they meant it. And their actions and the way that they lived the life, the way that they saw the world, was transformed by that thought. And they they literally flipped the world upside down. We are Christians today, because they said, you know what? Like like, Jesus is my Lord. You guys are all saved. We're all saved in here, right? And We're not Jews. Right? We, don't, we don't have like a great, great 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 grandfather that was like, like you know. I don't know, some of us may be Jewish I don't know <laughs> right. but, but we all we all heard the gospel and we all our families all heard the gospel and we all came to know Jesus because of what the apostles did and and, and they lived their lives right, to the point of death they're all martyred they all died right, for the gospel they died for Jesus because it was lordship it was so much more than just words that people say. It was so much more than just their vernacular. It was so much more than than in, you know, like you know, when we pray, we did, you know, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. And we have all of these things, like, Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. And we say these things, Lord out of my do we really mean it? Is he really Lord of your life? Is is he in control? Let's all stand up. I want us to close in prayer.